I had the opportunity to uh, speak earlier today with Lieutenant Colonel Peter Lerner, who is an IDF uh, spokesperson. He was the spokesperson during the Gaza War of 2014. He's now back in uniform in the reserves and um, is speaking to the world, going on TV, media, doing all these interviews. And we had a chance to catch up, hear from him what the uh, latest is on what's happening, what are the goals of the operation that's coming and the operation that's ongoing, but also to look at what's happening in the media in a bit of a deeper way from someone who's on the front lines of that. So uh, I'm going to play that for us, and then we will take back the webinar and continue with our conversation. So please, here is Peter Lerner. Okay, I'm really uh, happy to be joined by Lieutenant Colonel Peter Lerner, not only a good friend, but really one of Israel's top spokespeople, was head of the uh, international media department in the IDF up until a few years ago, has a lot of experience with Gaza, and we'll talk about that in a minute, because he was the spokesperson during the last large-scale ground offensive in Gaza in 2014. And here he's back again in uniform. Uh, so, Peter, thanks for joining us at GAPPI. We've been doing these daily uh, webinars. Can you give our listeners what is the latest? What, what, where do things stand kind of just on a on a 30,000 altitude feet? Yeah, there are three components, I think, that uh, that we're talking about now. First of all, is still to regain control of the area of the surrounding Gaza Strip. Just yesterday, we had another engagement with uh, or a couple of engagements where our soldiers met more terrorists still in, in Israeli territory, um, killing five of them. So it just goes to show there is still a real threat in the surrounding communities. The second component is rebuilding the barrier so that they can no longer infiltrate. So that is also something the IDF is currently doing, rebuilding uh the breaches, um, fixing the technology, uh, making sure that there are enough forces on the ground in order to prevent infiltration. And the third component is obviously the offensive, the, the, the activities that we're doing now against Hamas, destroying, degrading, and uh, obliterating their uh, operational capabilities. So those are the three core components that we're doing. I would add perhaps like a semi-component, which is not necessarily the IDF's focus, but also on a broader issue, but the issue of international support and international arena. We've seen uh, Blinken and, and President Biden and, and the world that is rallying, but there's also a level of military to military activities that are taking place, um, uh, arm, arms and armory that and, and, and weapons and, and military support that is coming um, into, into Israel from, from the US. So there's a lot of activities there. Um, perhaps just one other thing is the readiness for the next stage. And that, that's right. a different component to what's happening now, as, but what's going to happen next. And you heard a lot about the amount of uh, forces that have been recruited to uh, reserve duty, like myself, mm -hmm. 300,000 or so. Um, huge amount of people, unprecedented number. But what's important about it is that those troops are for all of the arenas because we need to be prepared for what the the government directs us and instructs us to do in Gaza. If a ground maneuver is uh, instructed, then we need to be prepared for that and have the forces to do that. Um, there is concerns also with the Lebanese border. We've had anti-tank guided missiles fired at our forces there. We've had mortar fire from Syria. So we basically need to be yeah. very strong across the fronts. So I'm curious, you know, because of that institutional memory or history that you have, 2014, 2023, almost 10 years later, 
you're you're in the media. You're you're talking. You're going on. I'm seeing on CNN, Fox, BBC. You're doing all the rounds all day long. Is there any difference? Do you sense a difference today compared to back then? There's more sympathy maybe now. What's your sense? I think there's a more empathetic attitude towards Israel. Um, you know, a thousand two hundred people. You know, you say that number have been butchered and murdered. Anybody that considers themselves a decent person cannot be shocked by that number. That's right. not only a number, it's 1,200 families that have been torn to pieces. It's a nation that is bleeding. And so I think that, that the the where we are today and on day six is a situation where people are looking at us, understanding that this is an unbearable reality and understanding that something needs to be done. Um, I would say the similarities, obviously, of course, the concern for civilians in in Gaza. Uh, why are they to blame? And uh, or, or why do they need to pay a price for their government? Um, and uh, and the difference is today, I think, you know, this offensive that was initiated by Hamas and their terrorists is slightly different to what happened in 2014. So they began, they initiated on a wide scale, multi-faceted uh, 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 offensive in on the ground at air and in sea, and it's uh, you know it obviously is a strategic plan that they'd planned for many many uh, months or years, and that I think is the difference. There's a, a different standing of where they're coming from. You know, it's been quite remarkable when you see some of the most experienced, veteran, tough journalists, anchors who are breaking down right on air. You know, I've been at press conferences and watching. The, the, the international, like these are the top of the top and they're sitting there and they're and they're bawling when they hear parents of hostages and victims tell their stories, right? I, I've, I've never seen that before. We're taking them to the, to see the, the the communities. We've been to Barry, we'll be taking to Reim. You, know, you cannot remain calm and collected. It doesn't, you know, if you do, there you have no heart. Mm-hmm. And 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 people are realizing, you know, I think maybe there may be a bit of a conscience as well, because people have been giving Hamas, you know, a free pass basically for many years. And maybe they have some little piece of conscience that is sitting on their shoulder saying, huh, maybe we we gave them too much, you know, leeway or or, or, or room to maneuver. The situation I, I believe today in that respect is, you know, it, that nothing can prepare you for the, the 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 visuals, the imagery, the tragedies. You know, you you can't believe that in a place like Israel, where we, you know, we we feel that we belong to the decent world, the decent West, um, that a situation like this would happen, and it's so close to home. And so many people, you heard it on Blinken's um, briefing when he in his press conference today with with Netanyahu, where he said, as a father, you you cannot not be heartbroken yeah yeah peter i want to thank you very much for joining us and uh keep doing what you're doing which is fighting the fight and uh on, on the in the international media so thanks a lot and uh stay safe thanks Jacob. take care so that was peter lerner and um i want to take the beginning of this webinar and talk to our panelists gil troy shmuel and jeremy and do what we've been doing over the last few days and get just what is what is the big headline What's the big story that you see over the last 24 hours that's taking place as we head into the weekend? And hopefully no one, you know, hopefully it'll be quiet. No one can know what Shabbat's going to look like here. 
uh, especially after what we saw last Shabbat. But uh, what's that big story? And also, you know, I could just say, and, and maybe this is you know just one thing that I came across, but there was this wonderful uh, audio recording that was going around uh, that you start, you, you press play, and it is, um, you know, I'm Israel, I'm a chayal, I'm a soldier, and dude, whatever. And I'm asking you, you got to come save me. I need your help. You have to come and take all the food and all the underwear and all the socks that you've been sending me. I have too much. Come take it back. And you just see this beautiful aruta dadit, right? This just coming together and taking care of one another. So if it's a story about that or it's a, the headline and the news that you're seeing, give it to us in kind of 60 to 90 seconds. Uh, Gil, why don't you start? I, I got the opposite video saying, oh, we need so much deodorant and then seeing piles of deodorant and, oh, we need toothpaste, piles of toothpaste. But on a more sober but yet uh, inspiring note, uh, I've been sharing this uh, ongoing trauma of the loss of our friend Ben. We went to his funeral yesterday and we discovered that he didn't die like a lamb being led to the slaughter, but he died because he was at the festival and instead of running away, he was an army medic and he started administering first aid to people and was killed then. Wow. And immediately it changed the narrative. And over the last couple of days, we've started hearing a second narrative. October 7th was the slaughter, the carnage, pogrom imagery, Holocaust imagery. But within minutes, we're now hearing on certain kibbutzim, within minutes on certain army bases, there was a mobilization. And whereas Hamas won the first battle, we within minutes mobilized. And that's why Hamas didn't succeed in holding on to the Gaza Strip. In, in holding on to the Gaza communities. And immediately it shifted into a Zionist narrative. The Zionist narrative is not one of perfection and not one without its cruel and heartbreaking moments. But the Zionist narrative isn't just of the Jews being steeped in misery, but also us always fighting, defending ourselves and winning. And I think that's what we're seeing. And we're going to hear more and more, and by the way, the press has to do more and more of not just reconstructing the five-minute video in the Wall Street Journal, which was very, very moving and very, very important about how 260 people were killed at a concert festival, but also to see how minute by minute through WhatsApp groups, through informal connections, through just sheer well-trained bravery, our citizens became yeah. the first line of support until our soldiers were able to mobilize. Right. Shmuel? Well, you know, uh, uh, first I must say that my son is very happy with his new underwear and, and socks. He's, uh, he's stationed in uh, southern Israel and was very glad to receive these, these packages. So keep sending them. Uh, it's fine. Um, you know, a, a war is a, is a complicated, multifaceted affair. And if I try to uh, separate the... the uh, signal, to see the signal amid all the noise, I think uh, today's more, most important event is the closed meeting between Prime Minister Netanyahu and uh, the Secretary of State of the United States, Anthony Blinken. He came to Israel today. They had a, a meeting one-on-one. -on -one. Of course, we don't know what was said in that meeting, but in many ways, the, the message that the Americans convey to Netanyahu gives him a sense of, uh, of his room for maneuver in the coming days and weeks. Uh, clearly, Israel is bombing Gaza. The, 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 the bombing is extensive. It is watching what's happening in the north. It is receiving um, the full backing 
in a, in a very moving and powerful way of the U.S. administration. However, uh, Israelis are um, experienced enough to know that such backing and such international support uh, has a has a time frame. It will not continue forever, and Israel must decide for itself what are the clear goals that it wants to achieve before such support begins to erode. Great to have you with us as a guest. Um, It was hard to get in touch with you. No, I'm joking. Uh, Jeremy and Laura are married. Uh, But Jeremy, please, um, your 60, 90 second kind of big story of the last 24 hours. Well, there's so many facets of the story, but uh, I'll take it on an emotional level and then on a more political policy level. You know, I went over the uh, the social media and you see the pictures of women, mothers, shielding their kids who were killed and children, the three-year-old taken as a prisoner to Gaza. And I I just, uh, I mean, emotionally, it was almost too difficult to bear. And I can imagine that the actual picture of what has happened is even much worse than what we are seeing and what others, uh, even the social media is showing. Um, so on that level, I think it was uh, it was very overpowering. I was incredibly impressed, as already been mentioned here, by the incredible bottom-up uh, citizen activity across the board, uh, bringing supplies and, and also working together in so many different areas, thinking about the people who've been taken and are uh, as hostage now, well over a hundred. I don't know exactly the number, but the hundred, you know, the tens and oh, well over a hundred uh, hostages that are being held in Gaza. I mean, one can't even get one's mind around how families must be thinking about that. And the last thing that I thought, and feeding into what you said, uh, Yaakov, in the beginning about Avud Hadadit, I watched very closely the uh, speech of Anthony Blinken, the Secretary of State, and I was uh, really moved by, I am not just the Secretary of State, I am also a Jew. Mm-hmm. And uh, and his background and his uh, parentage from the Holocaust and you know, I was very moved by that. And, and coming on in the wake of the President Biden's incredible uh, uh, gesture and speech of uh, support, I was very moved by that. And look, the key factor that we're facing today is not only dealing with events on the ground, but we have to say Israel's deterrence was damaged in a very severe way. And we have to shore up our deterrence and America will be there. We have to do this ourselves, but we need America as well. And I am very uh, conscious of that, you know, strong Israeli-American alliance, which is has never been more crucial. So I, I want to talk about that in a moment. I mean, there was, you know, there was the, the Trump speech from last night, which I'm sure all of you watched and you got to hear how smart Hezbollah is and how Bibi, you know, tried to take credit for the assassination of Qasem Soleimani and whatever else he had there, all the beautiful things he had to say. And you kind of contrast that with Biden. Obviously, we're not going to get into any internal U.S. politics. But I do think to an extent, and and maybe I'll start with you on this, Gil, is President Biden has set a new standard, it seems to me, of what it means to be a pro-Israel president. What, What Jeremy was talking about, Blinken, right, his comment, which you don't often hear from a secretary of state, right? They kind of, they don't want to 
you know, they, they don't shy away. They know they're Jewish and everyone knows they're Jewish, but they don't openly talk about being Jewish. Right. Um, this is this is a new level in, in that type of lack of daylight. I don't know for lack of a better term. What is is this? You know, people want to say oh, it's just politics. You know, they're going to an election. He needs to be strong. People would blame his policies. This seems like so much more than that. Right. I actually think one of the most extraordinary things about the speech uh, that Joe Biden gave was that he didn't seem to care about politics. He wasn't playing to the election and he wasn't playing to any kind of polls. He was he there there was a way in which you could see that he was really shuttered and he was really moved, as you were saying earlier, about uh, these veteran newscasters. And um, and I think it's really important what he did. Because he showed that, first of all, even in a highly divided, highly partisan America, there are moments which transcend politics. There are moments of principle. He showed that even with all the noise that there is around the uh, Israel issue and you know the, the 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 wave of accusations that we've endured for so many years, uh, and the growing problem in the Democratic Party of anti-Zionists, that that wasn't going to stop him. And right. he spoke like a moral leader, and he spoke like a statesman. And I think it was actually a really very powerful moment, and it was a tremendous gift to Israel and the Jewish people precisely at our moment of weakness. And if I can get just one last thing, mm-hmm. and this pains me to say, I'm comparing his speech to the mealy-mouthed word soup coming out of university presidents' mouths, how they are so afraid to say anything other than we regret the violence and the conflict, and they use the the word to kind of hide any kind of moral condemnation of Hamas, God forbid, and the fear on university campuses of a small group of very aggressive pro-Palestinians. And then you see Biden standing up and saying, no, this is how you do it. And my other hero was Bono, who did the same thing when he talked about the concert goers as my people. And we have to start using those role models to say, that's how you show empathy. That's how you show leadership. And by Mm -hmm. the way, that's how we win, because this really is a civilizational conflict. And we keep right. on saying so, this, so, this is a fight not just against Israel, but against democracy, against liberalism, and against civilization itself. It's also words matter, you know, and you're seeing this, by the way, just in parentheses for a moment, uh, what's going on in, with the BBC and in the UK is just shameful how they won't use the word terrorists. You got the royal family who's calling them terrorists, right? The UK government has declared Hamas a terrorist organization, but the BBC, they're militants. But Jeremy, uh, I want to go back to you for a moment. You know, you spent a lot of time in the U.S. You were the deputy director general of the foreign ministry um, in charge of strategic matters and affairs. So well-versed and well-experienced also in the United States. And then we are going to talk about Europe. But um, what you're seeing coming out of the U.S. and 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 the the way you mentioned deterrence before, but I do also have this feeling, it reminds me kind of the second Lebanon war, that when we didn't do as well as people thought we were going to do, it 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 was a blow to our, the way we were perceived in America, right? Among our friends, the military, the CIA, intelligence agencies, et cetera. Is what happened here doing the same, do you think? Are they now looking and saying, what we thought the IDF was better, we thought the Mossad was better, the Shabak was better? You know, I um talking to some American friends. There's obviously been the uh, comparison between what happened and 9-11. And also, you know, America was the strongest nation in the world and maybe in history. And it was also uh, overcome by an unexpected low tech, uh, uh, I don't know how to say it, but an attack that was not foreseen by any any means. 
And no one is invincible. And I think from that point of view, uh, they understand that we can be very advanced and very high tech, but there are ways to get around it. And Hamas used its weakness to find the ways around it. Um, and uh, so from that point of view, I don't think that's that's the point. Don't Let's not forget, America has 25 citizens that have been captured in, in, in this and perhaps killed many, more than that. Uh, so beyond the issue of being, you know, a very strong ally of Israel, there's a very serious interest here. Second of all, there's a major overlap in terms of how you see Hamas and how you see uh, ISIS. This has been said very much by by the Israeli establishment at this point. And I think actually the things that I'm hearing is, that have happened on the ground in the kibbutzim have been even worse than what ISIS has done. So I think that, you know, when they talk about, as Gil said, the war of civilization, uh, you know, America, America totally sees that this, this cannot stand. And they see that Israel obviously will respond. Um, and I think, you know, it's not just a matter of words. It's a matter of you know, the sending of the battle carrier group led by the Gerald Ford. I mean, this is a hundred tons of deterrence and it's one of, it's it's a war fighting machine, probably the most advanced in the world and in a class of its own. Yeah. Um, and this is a clear message to Hezbollah and Iran. Don't go there. Uh, yeah. The president said it very clearly. And I think, you know, America here has very deep, profound strategic interests of its own as well as being supportive of an ally. And our fight is their fight, and, you know, just as their fight in 9-11 was ours, shoulder to shoulder. Yeah. Um, Shmuel, it was only a matter of time till Trump would say something, right? And he is the gift that never stops giving. And there we had it last night, I think it was at an Iowa, an Iowa rally. Does this war that we're seeing what role, I mean, you, you've been, you've covered a lot of these elections in the United States. Uh, you, you, you still go back you still go back because you know, you, you, you have that addiction and I get it, but um, how much will this war play a role in the election cycle that's coming, that's playing out right now? Well, I'm, I'm not sure it's going to be a, to play a big role in, in, in American election. Uh, we are uh, more than a year, uh, before election day, so so uh, up until then, hopefully, we will get to a point in in which Israel could uh, once again become a more uh, marginal topic. I would not want to think that Israel will be at the top of the news from now until uh, until a year from now. But but trying to continue what uh, what uh, Jeremy and Gil started with the issue of deterrence, I'd like to 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 add one more layer when, when you have. When you have barbarians at the gate, there are two types of barbarians that you must deal with. One is the, the 12th century Mongols, and then they come to take your country away from you. So that's a clear danger that you must deal with. Then you have the 9-11 type um, uh, attack of people who, who can harm you, who can harass you, but they are not an existential threat. Uh, 9-11 attack, was not an attack that to, could take away uh, America's force. And we must say, Hamas attack on Israel um, uh, earlier this, uh, this week was not in itself an existential threat to Israel. Hamas is not a powerful enough force to, to conquer Israel or to, to take Israel away from us. 
Losing Israel deterrence, that's an existential threat. For Israel to be seen as a weak party, this neighborhood at this time, with Hezbollah in the north, with Iran, with all the other parties, that's the existential threat. So, so Hamas, the attack by Hamas should be taken or should be seen in two different contexts. There is the context of having to prevent Hamas from, from killing our citizens, and that's an, an important goal. Then there is also the strategic consideration, and, the, and this goes back to the issue of deterrence. Israel must regain its stance as a powerful uh, a powerful player in this region because yeah. being seen as weak, that's existential, and that's why the war we are about to fight is an existential war. You know, I'll say something that's a bit, I guess, probably a bit controversial. But I think what happened now, because of the what, with the massacre on Saturday, what it's done, and with the world now recognizing what we've been saying for decades about Hamas, right, and how terrible they are, and whatever, worse than ISIS, not doesn't make those comparisons mean nothing. That, that, that's what they are, and they have to be destroyed. We have this legitimacy now to flip the equation on what's happening in Gaza and go in there in a big way, and whether it's a week or two weeks or three weeks or longer, try to um, take down uh, Hamas. But what, what 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 sits in the back of my mind is I don't know what's going to happen with Hezbollah. And, you know, everybody wants to contain this conflict, keep it just in Gaza, not have Hezbollah erupt. But there's a part of me that feels that, OK, fine. So we take down Hamas and whatever the outcome is. But if Hezbollah is still there and they can do in a year from now or half a year from now or two years from now in the north, what Hamas did on October 7th in the south, then we will have to continue to live with a sword over our head. We have to change the equation across the region. And maybe the opportunity that we face today as a result of what happened is exactly this, to completely flip the paradigm, not to have to contain conflict anymore. I don't know. It, to me, I'm, I'm, I'm torn on that issue because I know everybody's like, no, we don't want to go. We don't want to go. And Jeremy, that's where I'm coming to you. How do you see this? Well, I look, I think that the... You know, what was said is, is you know, you're right on the money in terms of how, you know, this link of our deterrence must be preserved. I think also that the, um, the, uh, the fact that, you know, we've tried, and I think one of our major mistakes that led to the systemic mistake in Yom Kippur and 50 years and one day later to the Black Saturday that we just witnessed was that we overly try and judge the intentions of our enemies um, and their intentions and their capabilities. And I think by judging, putting too much emphasis on the intentions, we tend to give them a dignity that, you know, that stems from our logic, but is not their logic. And I have been thinking very much on this exact point on the last few days, that as you're right, I mean, the, the force that Hezbollah has compared to Hamas is, is massive in terms of uh, firepower and all the range of other capabilities. And we know they have this capability and we are going to be in a very great dilemma now. Do we do, you know, do we make some sort of preemptive strike at some point and not allow that sword to be dangling over our head? Because in the end, it'll fall. 
And we can't assume, you know, that they rely on their good intentions uh, to keep it, you know, there. Uh, you know, this is the problem of deterrence. Um, and it's it's a very, you know, Shmuel, I agree with what Shmuel said, but it's like a link in a chain. And Israel has to deter, has to have deterrence that is valid in Iran. It has to have a deterrence valid in Damascus, in Beirut, in the Dachya, uh, in Hamas, in the south, in, in general in the area. And one break in that link, even if it's not the most important link in that chain, can have massive ramifications. So that's uh, that's my take on it. And, and the bottom line is that, you know, we're going to have to think long and hard of the situation with Hezbollah. Having a sword over our heads is not a way to uh, run a business. No. If I could jump in there, if I may. I just extend it to a flip side, which is I've been thinking a lot about the fact that for years we've been going, especially to the United States, to the American Jewish community, to the UN, saying, look, we're really not that bad. Look how nice we are. And I think our message to our friends, and especially to our diaspora Jewish friends, has been we are going to do what we need to do to survive, and you're going to do what you need to do to make us look as good as you can. But the days of trying to make policy vis-a-vis Hamas and vis-a-vis Hezbollah so we look good and we look Western and we don't look like we live in the Middle East, I think must be end of, must it must be over. Shmuel, uh, we have a national unity government. Benny Gantz is back. They but they got the old gang back together again, right? BB and Benny. Uh, now there's Gadi also, right? Uh, the only one who doesn't have an E is is Yoav, um, but Yoav Gallant. Benny Gantz came in this. I'm guessing guessing with eyes wide open, right? He doesn't trust Netanyahu. Netanyahu does not trust him. They do know how to work together. They have respect for one another, right? We all, you know, just to remind our listeners or viewers, Netanyahu was the prime minister for the. Pretty much the entire duration of of Gantz's tenure as chief of staff, uh, and you know they worked together when he was defense minister in his government twenty twenty. Do you think that this you know obviously we can look only at what's happening right now, but does this last beyond the 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 war? In your opinion, well, you know, for, first we must say about this government that uh, better late than than ever. Uh, it took them uh, too long to to get to the point of forming this uh, emergency government. It's good that they did it. I think this government has again it has two two different roles. One is the is the professional part of it. Uh, you add more people with military experience, two generals, uh, Benny Gantz and Gary Eisenkot. To the mix, so you have more experienced people helping the prime minister uh, with the conduct of war. That's that's an important thing, but that's not the most important thing. The more important thing is the message that you send by forming such government, both to Israel's enemies. Look how serious we are. We overcame our deep political differences to come together to fight this war against you. And also, it's important in the um, in the domestic context. It is important to show the people in Israel who are all tired of 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 mischief and of debates and of, uh, uh, deep rifts within our society. It is important to show them that in this moment of crisis, we can put all these things to the side and come together. Now, can I tell you a straight face that I? all the leaders involved be past the past the stage of making political considerations 
Um, to be honest, I'm I'm not sure that's the case. It took them it took them long long days to get there. So there is still suspicion that some of the players and and we must you know admit the prime minister is more suspect than the, than the other side that Benny Gantz that political considerations can still play a role when this right. government is formed and it's important to make sure that this government operates smoothly and does not become a, a mechanism through which one thing one side can blame the other or the other side can blame uh, the first side for uh, for misconducting uh, the war uh, this should not become a blame game between two partners and that was the case in the in the unity government of Netanyahu and Gantz a few years ago. Right. This should be truly be uh, an emergency cabinet for uh, the conduct of, of war. Um, and that's why I think the question if this can last, the war is not that important. If they can function smoothly throughout the war, that's more than enough. Jeremy, you want to say something about politics? Because then I do have a quick question for you. So Yeah, I'd love to. First of all, I think I think it's important that the government, uh, this emergency government, has been formed. Um, but I think uh, it doesn't uh, vitiate the need to have a very uh, major commission of inquiry once the the hostilities have ended. Yeah. Um, and uh, and even the chief of staff said today, we are charged with you know protecting the citizens of Israel, and we failed. And this needs to be investigated once all is done. So I think this is one factor that should be borne in mind regarding this government. Second... By the way, you know you know who hasn't said a word of taking any responsibility? Sorry? I said, you know who hasn't taken a word, issued a word of responsibility? I don't think, you know, that's not surprising to me, but I think, uh, you know, the general feeling in the public is going to be, a, have a very devastating answer for him on this question. And I don't yeah. think it's going to be so easy to evade responsibility for this. Um, and the fact is that the one important factor is that they said this government will only deal with the war, which means that the judicial nonsense, which has, in my opinion, shattered our national security over the last nine months and been one of the reasons that we ended up in this situation, that that has been shelved. Uh, and I think that's, a first of all, a critical importance, also critically important to the Americans. Um, and so from that point of view, you know, I think it's uh, I think it's important that this is formed. I'm like, uh, I, I'm going to be very sanguine about my expectations, but I think, you know, look, I have a tremendous amount of respect for Benny Gantz. He was, uh, I worked with him in Washington and with Gadi Eisenkart as chief of staff. I think they add a tremendous weight of, res of, of you know, of responsibility and also to bring calm minds into a very complex situation. And I think it's very, I just want to say one sentence, it's critical, you know, that there's going to be, as the pictures come out, there's going to be a lot of emotional turnout. Of Israel must respond and Israel must do this and that. First of all, we must decide what we do carefully, cautiously, and find our own timing and not be a prisoner ourselves of, of the pressures. You know, when will the window close? When, when will it be open till? We need to actually, you know, find our time to make the yeah. most devastating response possible. We have Giltroy here, and he can give us some words of inspiration as we go off for the weekend, Gil. So just 
You know, you know how to do it. Okay, it's been the worst week of our lives. And indeed, we have many, many more funerals to go. But I also think that once again, we remembered that the politicians can let us down, the defense ministry can let us down, the IDF can let us down, but the people will not let us down. And we're reading these stories of people from left to right who put all their politics aside long before the government uh, was willing to do it and understood that this is in many ways an existential fight. And I have to say that as difficult as this week has been, I haven't had one moment of embarrassment. I am so proud of my people. I am so proud of my state. I am so proud of the Jewish people who have rallied around us. I'm so proud of liberal Democrats throughout the world who have seen and been able to recognize the difference between good and evil. And we know that things won't be easy, but we also know that we'll prevail. I'm Yisrael Chai.